Let's pray and ask God for his help. Our Father and our God, we do thank and praise you for giving us your word here in Psalm 16. We pray that we might understand what David was saying and how it's fulfilled in Christ and what it means for us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I was having lunch with a bloke from church a while ago. We were talking about Jesus. We were discussing over Yamcha um, the doctrine of justification through faith alone. And uh, that's the idea that uh, all we need to do to be right with God is to rely on Jesus. Jesus lived the life we should have lived. Jesus died in our place to take our sin away. Jesus is now alive and at the right hand of God. He determines who goes to heaven. And, and what we need to do is to trust him, to rely on him, to rely on his life, death and resurrection to bring us to heaven, to, to have faith in Jesus. Hence, justification being put right with God through faith, that is through relying on Jesus and not through anything we can do. I think that it's a magnificent doctrine, not just for talking about over Yom Chah, but a magnificent doctrine at any time at all. As Martin Luther put it, it is the doctrine on which the church stands or falls. I am so pleased that I don't have to earn my own way into heaven. There's no way I could do it. I'm so pleased that I can rely on Jesus to bring me into heaven and the bloke that I was uh, talking to, he thought it was great news as well. And I said, um, and the brilliant thing about it is that I can be sure I'm going to heaven. If it were left to me, I would never know if I'm good enough. I'd never know if I've done enough to make it. But because Jesus has done it all for me, I can be sure, certain, confident. But then my friend said to me, but how do I know if I have faith? How do I know if my faith is genuine? How do I know if it's real? How do I know if my faith is enough to save me? My faith is very weak, he said. It, it comes and goes. Some days it's strong, some days it's, it's very weak. How, how can I know if I'm really trusting Jesus? It's a good question, isn't it? I wonder how you would have answered it. It's an important question. It's an important question if the doctrine of justification through faith is true. How can we know if our faith is real, if we're genuinely relying on Jesus? Well, this psalm that we're looking at this evening, it is, I believe, an expression of genuine trust in God. The psalmist is relying on God to help him, to protect him. The psalmist is relying on God for this life and for the life to come. And I think as we look at this expression of genuine faith it can help us it can kind of be a model for us as we think about this issue of whether our trust in God is genuine let's let's have a look let's have a look as you can see in the heading of the psalm this uh, was written by King David have a look with me at the heading there this is a miktam of David uh, we don't know what a miktam is it sounds like another small rodent doesn't it uh, closely related to the muskeel that we saw last week uh, again, it's some kind of a literary or musical term. It's probably related to a word that means something like hiding. Um, perhaps it's a, a psalm of kind of refuge or hiding or something in God. But we, don't, we don't know exactly what it means. Uh, but we do know that David wrote this miktam. And as he writes, David, it seems, is in some kind of trouble or danger. We don't know exactly what, but there must be some kind of trouble because he starts off by asking God to protect him, to keep him safe. David says, God, will you please protect me? I'm relying on you. Psalm 16 and verse 1. Verse 1. Keep me safe, O God, for in you 
I take refuge. David then goes on to say that God is his Lord, his boss or master. And he says that God is his only good. In other words, he doesn't want or need anything apart from God. If he's got God, it's all he needs. Verse 2. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. God is David's king and David delights in God. But David himself is also a king, king over God's people. And that is something that also delights him. He, he, he loves the people that God has given him to rule. He loves God's people. Verse 3. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. David treasures God, treasures his people. And so he says, I'm not going to follow any other gods. I'm not going to follow idols. I'm not going to worship them or sacrifice to them or take refuge in them. I'm not going to call on their names for help. David says, people who follow idols, it's just going to be more trouble for them. He says, no, no, I'm going to stick with the Lord alone. Verse 4. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. David's going to trust God alone. He delights in God. And he goes on to talk about the life that God has given him. And David says, you've proved worthy of my trust so far. You've given me an excellent life. You've given me my food and drink. You've given me my place in the promised land. You've been worthy of my trust so far. Verse 5. Lord, you've assigned me my portion of food and my cup. You've made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance in the promised land. Um, God has also guided David, instructed him through his Lord. David says, I'm going to praise you. I think you're worthy of my trust because you've, you've shown me by your law how to live a godly life in the promised land. I'm going to praise you, verse 7. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. Can you see what David said so far? He said, God, will you please protect me? He said, I'm I'm, I'm trusting in you. I'm delighting in you. You're my Lord. And then he talks about how you've given me the sort of life that that shows that you're worthy of my trust. You've proved worthy of my trust so far. You've given me everything. You've guided me. I'm content with the life you've given me. I'm trusting you, God, for this life. That's not where it ends, though. Because David then goes on to talk about the future. And he says he's also content with the future that God has for him. He's willing to trust God for the future. God is with David. God is his strength, his protection. David believes that he therefore cannot be shaken. Nothing can can take away God as his protector. Verse 8. I've set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I'll not be shaken. David can't be shaken with God as his protector and he believes that that's not just for this life, that even goes beyond death. Not even death can take him away from God as his protector. God will protect him not only now but through into eternity. God will not abandon him to the grave, he says. God will raise him up to his own right hand and there he will enjoy eternal pleasures. Verse 9. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life 
You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. You know, there are lots of people who say that in the Old Testament there's no kind of hope for beyond the grave, hope for the next life. It's got to be wrong. It's just perfectly clear here, isn't it, what David's saying? It's hope for the next life, for life after death. Okay, so can you see what's here in this psalm? David's in some kind of danger. He says, God, will you please protect me? And then in his expression of faith in God, he says, you're my Lord. I delight in you. I delight in your people. I don't want anything apart from you. I'm never going to follow an idol. You've given me everything I've got in this life. You've proved worthy of my trust. And and I'm going to trust you for the next life as well. You're, You're a God who is a protector, and not even death can separate us. You're my refuge in this life and in the life to come. Yeah, a nice psalm, isn't it? Nice psalm. I love David's kind of um, confidence and calmness because he's genuinely trusting God here, isn't he? isn't he? I think it's a genuine expression of trusting God for this life and the life to come. Although... Um, not everything turned out the way David said, did it? I mean, yes, God protected David many times, brought him through lots of dangers, but the day came when David did die. And uh, unlike what he says here in Psalm 16, David never got out of his grave. His body did decay. So what's going on there? Maybe, maybe the whole psalm falls apart then. Doesn't maybe David, this is all just a delusion. Maybe David's trust in God was misplaced. Maybe God is no protector for this life or, or, or for the next life. Maybe God's not worthy of David's trust. Well, a few weeks ago, we looked at uh, the first ever Old Testament passage preached on by a Christian. Can you, can you remember what it was? Can anybody remember what it was? First ever Old Testament passage preached on by a Christian. It was Joel chapter 2. Do you remember that? Joel chapter 2, we did it a few weeks ago. Well, this one, Psalm 16, is the second passage ever preached on by a Christian. Happened on the same day, on uh, the day of Pentecost. The Apostle Peter was explaining how God had raised Jesus from the dead and poured out the Spirit. He said it's the fulfillment of Joel chapter 2 and explained that. And then he went on to talk about Jesus. He said Jesus did all kinds of miracles, which all of you have seen. He said uh, you put him on a cross to die, but God raised him from the dead. And and what Peter does, he uses Psalm 16 to show how Jesus rose again from the dead. Peter says, in this psalm, David wasn't just talking about himself. David was speaking prophetically. David was thinking about the promise that God had made to him when, when God said to him, David, one of your sons is going to be the eternal king in God's kingdom. Now, David was thinking about that promise and thinking about that person, that son of his who would be the eternal king, and Peter says, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. David's hope here in Psalm 16 was fulfilled in Jesus. God didn't let Jesus' body see decay. God raised Jesus to life again. Jesus was the one who trusted God for this life and the next, like Psalm 16, only better and deeper. And God brought Jesus through death to life. And so God proved himself once and for all to be a faithful protector for both this life and the life to come. In Jesus, God has shown that he's worthy of our trust for this life and the life to come. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, it wasn't just for him. When Jesus rose from the dead, the Bible says that that is the guarantee that we will be raised from the dead, that that we can trust God to raise us 
from the dead. Um, in the New Testament, it uses a very interesting analogy. It talks about Jesus being uh, like a first fruits. Uh, do you know what the first fruits was? It was uh, it's an Old Testament concept that what they would do is they brought in the harvest, the very first bit that they would harvest, they'd take to the temple and offer it to God. That was the first fruits. But the idea of the first fruits, it came to be used as like, as like a guarantee. If you've got the first fruits, you're home and hose. The, the harvest is yours. Well, what the New Testament says is in Jesus' resurrection, that's the first fruits. And all who belong to him, home and host. Our resurrection is sure. It's a, it's a certain thing. It's bound to come in now. Um, on your outline there, I've given uh, some verses from 1 Corinthians that just shows us this analogy. You see it there, left-hand side down the bottom. It says, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as an Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn, Christ the firstfruits, then, when he comes, those who belong to him. Friends, David's trust in God was well-founded. Through Jesus, King David is today alive, experiencing pleasure at the right hand of God, just like he thought would happen in Psalm 16. Through Jesus, all of God's people, who have died are now alive and filled with joy in the presence of God. And if you belong to Jesus, if you are relying on Jesus, that is your future as well. You will be with God and one day we will all be raised to resurrected life together through Christ. And so the point is God is worth trusting. God is worth trusting. We can take refuge in him for this life and for the next life. He's shown it through Jesus. In Jesus we have a security that... Not even death can take away. And that's what the next verse on your outline shows from Romans. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is worthy of our trust in this life and the next. Okay, let, let me come back to where we started. To the lunch that I was having, to the question my friend asked me. How can I know if my faith is genuine? How would you have answered that question? Well, I answered the question by trying to take the emphasis off our faith. I talked about how justification comes through grace alone, uh, by grace alone, through faith alone. That is, it's God's free gift to us. I use an illustration. I'll, I'll tell, share the illustration with you. Uh, I said to the, to the guy I was having lunch with, I said, let me ask you a question and I'll ask you the same question. See if you can answer the question in your heads tonight. Uh, so let me ask you, imagine there are two Israelites and the scene is they're in Egypt and it's the afternoon before Passover. Okay, so that night the angel of death is going to come and he's going to strike all the Egyptian firstborn sons. God has commanded the Israelites to slaughter the Passover lamb and to put the blood on the doorpost. Everybody know this situation from the book of Exodus? Yeah, so it's the afternoon before the Passover and, uh, and these two Israelite guys are having a chat over the back fence. The first one says, Oh, they, this, uh, this Passover thing, it is a real worry. I mean, we have been in Egypt for 400 years. 
None of us would have the faintest idea how to run a nation. How are we ever going to be a country of our own? And Egypt, we're not talking about pussycats. We're talking about the most powerful nation in the entire world. Pharaoh is not just going to say, sure, off you go. How is God going to set us free? And if he does set us free, what are we going to do then? Where are we going to go? There's, there's thousands of miles of desert out there. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? This whole thing seems like madness to me. But the other bloke says, no way. He says, this is genius. This is brilliant. That angel of death is going to come. He's going to smash the Egyptians. And finally, we, the Lord's people, will be free. God will give us the land that he's promised to our forefathers. Brother, it is milk and honey. Here we come. Well, that night, both the men slaughtered the Passover lamb, put the blood on the doorposts. Now, the question I said to the bloke I was talking to is this. And it's a question I want you to answer in your own mind as well. Here's the question. Which of the men was saved? Which of the men was saved? Do you know what the answer is? Which of the men was saved? That's right, both of them. Both of them were saved, weren't they? Weren't they? The point is this. It's not the strength of your faith that saves you. It's the object of your faith. You just need enough faith to do what you're told. A mustard seed of faith will do you, Jesus says. You just need enough faith to do what you're told. In the case of the Israelites, put the blood on the doorposts. In the case of us Christians, put your faith in Jesus. Say, Jesus, please be my Lord and Saviour. Please forgive me. Please bring me to heaven. It's not our faith that saves us. It's Jesus who saves us. Now, I stand by my answer. I'm convinced that the most important thing is what Jesus has done and not our faith. And you see it again in the way this psalm is used in the New Testament. It doesn't say everybody should have faith like David. It says, no, no, Jesus had an even better faith than David. Jesus is the one whose body didn't see decay. Jesus is the one who's, who's risen again. It's all about what Jesus has done and not about our faith. But uh, this psalm, what, what it's done for me... It's also just given me a different kind of angle, a different sort of tangent on how I could have answered the question. Because it is possible, isn't it, for us to have what the Bible calls a dead faith, a faith that cannot save us. That, that's a biblical concept, isn't it? James chapter 2, such faith is dead cannot save you. We're going to look at Matthew's Gospel this year. I'm really looking forward to it. But I think the scariest part of Matthew's Gospel is in Matthew chapter 7, towards the end of Matthew chapter 7, where, where Jesus says, uh, on that day there are going to be people going to come, come up to me and they're going to go, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all of this stuff in your name? And I'm going to say, I never knew you. It's possible that we are kidding ourselves about our faith. It, it reminds me of a, a stupid joke um, about a, a bloke who, who falls off a cliff and uh, as he falls off the cliff, he's able to just grab on to uh, a small plant and he's, he's hanging on for dear life, kind of feet swaying in the breeze and hanging on for dear life. And in his desperation, he calls out, please, is, is there anyone up there to help me? A voice says, yes, I'm here to help. Who are you? I'm God. Brilliant. Can you please help me? Sure, says God. Just let go of the plant. The man thinks about it and then he says, is there anyone else up there to help me? <laughs> See, 
it, it's possible for us to have a faith that, that doesn't rest in God at all. It's possible for us to, to, to say that we're relying on God, but actually we're not at all. But here in this psalm, as we see this kind of picture of, of genuine faith, David's genuine faith, ultimately Jesus' genuine faith, I think we can see stuff. It's not a definition of faith or anything like that, but it's just got little kind of clues or evidence that I think could help us to hopefully comfort us, give us confidence that our faith is genuine, but maybe also challenge us a bit as well. So how can we know if our faith is genuine? Let's just have a look at a few things in the psalm again. There in verse 1. What does David do when he faces trouble? What does he do? He talks to God about it. He prays. Is that your instinct? Trouble comes, danger comes, and you turn to God. You pray. Is that your instinct? Well, fantastic. There is some evidence that you are genuinely trusting God. If you don't, well, perhaps there's a question mark for you. What do you turn to? Who do you turn to? Is that where your trust really is? What about verses 2 and 3? Where David says, God, you're my Lord. You are my only good. I don't want or need anything apart from you. Where David delights in God and where he says, I delight in, in your people as well. Is that how you feel? I mean, I know our feelings come and go. We don't want to rely on them. And sometimes we're good. Sometimes, But can, can you say that you've got a genuine delight in God you see him as as the good thing the good person in your life Do you have a genuine delight in God's people I hope you do and, and if you do well there's more evidence for you that's evidence of a genuine trust in God if you don't if that's not how you feel if you despise God and despise his people well then you have another question mark what do you delight in is that where your trust really is? What about verse 4 there, where David says, Oh, I'm never going to worship an idol. I'm never going to find my security or protection in anything other than God. I'm not going to sacrifice to them or call on their name. No way. Is that you? Do, you? do you worship only God, trust only God, or are you perhaps hedging your bets? Now, my wife, Carmelina, was talking to a lady the other day. She's a lady who's been associated with our church for a few years now. She comes... Uh, she's involved with our Easy English classes and um, a couple of other ministries as well. And uh, we've come to really, really like her very much. And Carmelina was having lunch with her the other day. And, and she said, um, you know, you've been part of our church now for a while, involved with a few things. What do you think of Jesus now? And the lady said, look, I've come to, to really love and appreciate Jesus. And, and I'd say I'm ready, I'm happy now to, to add him to the other gods that I worship. It's not really good enough, is it? The triune God demands our exclusive worship and trust. There's no room for idolatry, for relying on other gods. Well, friend, is God your only God? Do you worship only him? I hope you do. And if you do, there's some more evidence for you, one way or the other. What about verses 5, 6 and 7? Where David expresses a real kind of contentment in the life that God's given him. He says, you've given me my food, you've given me my place in the promised land, you've guided me and instructed me, shown me how to live as a, as a godly man in your land, and I'm content with that. 
Is that you? Are you satisfied with the life God's given you? Are you happy to live your life God's way? It's a big question for middle-aged blokes like myself. (laughs) A classic middle-aged crisis where you go, not content with my life. Are you content with the life God has given you? Do you praise God like David did for the life God's given you? If you do, well, there's more evidence that you're trusting God, that it's genuine. If you don't, if you're not content, if you're constantly pining for more, perhaps there's another question mark for you. Finally, verses 8 to 11. Do do you agree with David there? Do you feel like you can't be shaken? Eternity is unshakable. Are you confident that not even death can separate you from God's love in Jesus? Do you believe that that like Jesus you'll you'll be resurrected? Do you, like King David... Do you you hope and long for that day when you'll be with God in glory? Do you? Well, friend, there's more evidence. More evidence of a genuine faith. But if your thoughts are always just on here and now, if you're living exclusively for this life, if your hopes and dreams don't go beyond this life, there's another question mark for you. Do you see the point? It's just little evidences, little clues about a a real faith, a genuine faith. What kinds of things do we see? Do you pray to God in times of trouble? Do you find joy and delight in God and his people? Do you worship only God? Are you content with the life God's given you? Are you hoping for the resurrection, for being with God forever? Are you? I hope you are. And if you are, stop stressing about it. That's the kind of genuine faith that David had, the kind of genuine faith that Jesus had. You are genuinely finding your security in God. And friend, can I say, your, your, your trust, your faith is well-placed. God is not going to let you down. And remember, that's the important thing. Our faith itself, our trust itself, it does, it does waver, doesn't it? It's not something we want to rely on. It comes and goes. But if our faith is in Christ, then he is a secure refuge for this life and for the next Friends, do trust God, won't you? Do genuinely rely on Jesus. And, and, and as you do, know with joy that he's worthy of your trust in this life. Know with joy that you have a sure hope for the, for the future, that not even death can separate you from the love of God in Christ. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we do thank and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ, our sure hope. We thank you for his perfect faith in you. We thank you that you did not abandon his body to the grave, but raised him to life and seated him at your right hand and are giving him eternal joy. And we thank you that he is the first fruits and that he is the guarantee of the resurrection of all who belong to him. We pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would fill us with genuine faith and hope and trust and reliance in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, please comfort us if we are worried about our faith. Please rebuke and correct us if we are... Um, apathetic or not really trusting Jesus and help us to have our hope in him. We pray it in Jesus' name.